Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in the ninth week of our series entitled Character Sketch, and this week we have two sermons for you, not just one. In the sanctuary, the Reverend Dr. John Guest preached on the faithfulness of Elijah, while in Wilson Hall, our high school pastor, the Reverend Doug Rary, preached. Here is the message from Pastor Doug. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, gang. My name's Doug, and I get to be one of the pastors here today, and I am so thankful uh, to be up here among you, with you. Uh, Before we get started today, I wonder if you would pray with me, please. Father God, I just thank you so much for this place, Lord. God, I thank you for a time to be able to gather and worship, and uh, a time to be able to hear from you. God, I, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill this place. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds as we open your word here this morning. And God, I pray that it's your words that are spoken here this morning and not mine. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, you know, uh, every once in a while, uh, I get the opportunity to take my, my family on, on maybe like a, a short little vacation, maybe like an extended weekend. And, and because we have little kids, lots of times we'll go to uh, some touristy type places, you know. So we'll go to Ocean City, Maryland, or one of my favorites is Niagara Falls in Canada. And when we get to go, um, you know, my wife hates it, but I, I, I want to carry on a family tradition and uh, something I used to do as a kid and something I want, to, I want my kids to experience. Uh, it's really cheesy. Maybe you've heard of it, but I like to take people, uh, I like to take my family to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. Do you know the Ripley's Believe It or Not? I love the Ripley's Believe It or Not uh, uh, Museum. And, uh, and I get my hands on the, the little cartoon books that, that they give you and, and get to walk through and see some exhibits and some are some real things that have been brought back and, and some are some uh, wax figures of some, some people um, from times past. And, and Ripley's Believe It or Not is all about showing you kind of the bizarre and the, and the unbelievable. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, I, I, I got uh, a couple of pictures of uh, three exhibits, three exhibits, from, three exhibits from Ripley's Believe It or Not that I want to be able to show you here this morning. The first is this, and that is the Fiji Mermaid. The Fiji Mermaid. Now, the Fiji Mermaid um, uh, was not at first uh, with Ripley. Uh, he was claimed to be acquired by uh, uh, P.T. Uh, Barnum, as in uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus. And uh, in the 1830s is when the Fiji mermaid first hit the scene. And Barnum uh, claimed that he went to Fiji and he actually captured this, this uh, there was a bunch of them, but he captured this live mermaid and, and brought him back and, and he put him uh, on show for everybody to see. And it was only later that Ripley actually acquired the Fiji mermaid. So what do you think? Believe it or not, the Fiji mermaid, what do you think? Not. That's right. Not. This is not real. Uh, in fact, Ripley uh, uh, even said in some of his articles, uh, you know, he's long gone now, but you could read about this in the museum, that there was actually Barnum that took uh, the skeleton of a, a monkey and, and of a fish and fused them together. And this was one of Barnum's very first kind of freak shows, side shows, and would, would, uh, would, would have that in his museum and, and later into his circus. Here's the, here's the second one I want to show you. It's a, it's a wax figure of a guy who lived in the 1800s, uh, Ivan uh, Chabert, okay? And this guy uh, got some extraordinary fame. He was a, he was a cook, uh, a chef, and, uh, and, and his claim to fame was he was able to uh, withstand extreme heat, uh, so much so that, that he would uh, take steaks or pieces of meat and he would climb into an oven. 
and he would sit in this oven until the, the steaks or, or the meat was fully cooked, and he'd come out, and the steak was fine, but he was completely unscathed. Uh, some even saying he wasn't even sweating. So what do you think? Believe that or not? Yeah, I would say not too, uh, but actually this is a big question mark. And the reason why is uh, I did a lot of research, probably too much on this stuff uh, this week. But, um, you know, I did a lot of research and, and I found out that all kinds, you know, this is 1800s, all kinds of news articles uh, were written about this guy. Eyewitnesses and all kinds of things. Uh, but then shortly after were advertisements for this next circus he was going to perform in or something like that. But the jury's still out on whether or not that is real. How about this one, the third and last one, uh, Robert Pershing. Robert Pershing, um, uh, Ripley has a, a, a wax figure of him in his museum as the, the tallest man to ever live, 8 foot 11. You can see Pastor Jared there reaching up. At, no, it's not Pastor Jared. But you can see uh, this man reaching up, trying, to, trying to, to reach as high as he can and barely even, uh, not even be able to, to reach that 8 foot uh, 11. What do you, what do you think, uh, Robert Pershing, uh, believe it or not? Yes, believe it. And, 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 and you can believe it. It's absolutely true. In fact, he lived from 1918 to 1940. Unfortunately, he lived to be 22 years old. But uh, you could go home and Google this. You could actually see pictures of him walking with people or, or even a, some video footage. And, uh, and, and, you know, that's, in our culture, that's kind of what we really need to believe something like that. That, that uh, we need to have some, some evidence, right? And we could believe uh, Robert Pershing uh, was the tallest man at, at 8 foot 11, um, you know, but he wasn't the tallest man to, to ever live. I mean, because we know that he was just a few inches shy of Goliath that was just a little bit over 9 feet, right? But these are some, some bizarre kind of unbelievable things, believe it or not. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about faith. Do I, do I believe it or not? Now, the Bible says this about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith is confidence. Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. You know, I believe that some of you in this room may need an extra dose of faith right now. You may need an extra dose of faith right now because maybe you or someone you love is sick. and Maybe they've just been given some terrible news. Uh, maybe like the family we mentioned today and like our, our staff, were, you know, maybe you're suffering the, the loss of someone, someone that you loved. Maybe your, your marriage is, is going through an extremely tough time. You're not sure if you're going to make it and you're not sure how you're going to get through it. Maybe you're desperate to start a family. Maybe you're looking for a spouse or maybe you're desperate to have children. Maybe... You have children, and maybe that child is hurt, or maybe they're suffering, or maybe they're making some pretty bad decisions, and you're a little scared, and you're not sure what to do about that. You know, some of you uh, may know that my family's going pr- through a pretty rough time right now. Um, my daughter is really struggling. She has an ailment, and it, it requires uh, us to take her to this intensive outpatient therapy three days a week, and it is extremely taxing. It is mostly taxing on her as she um, is experiencing stress and pain on purpose to be able to to help her learn ways to cope. It's extremely taxing on my wife um, who is taking her to therapy uh, each day. You know, and it's taxing on her twin sister who's not exactly sure what's going on with her sister right now. It's taxing on her family. 
And we wish that we could take this thing away from her. But as we are praying for help, as we are praying for God's guidance, we know, as hard as it is, we know that we need to have faith that God is going to see her through this and that God is going to see us through this time. Today we're going to look at one of those ancient prophets who God used to do some tremendous things. Elijah. God used Elijah to to raise a young boy from the dead. God used Elijah to rain fire down from heaven to burn up a soaking wet offering and a little contest that Elijah had going on with all these prophets of Baal. God used uh, Elijah when uh, Elijah prayed and God allowed the rain to return to the land after a three and a half year drought. God heard Elijah's prayer when several garrisons of soldiers were coming to arrest and, uh, and murder Elijah. That same fire of heaven came down and protected him and consumed them. God used Elijah to part the Jordan River. Not unlike Moses parting the Red Sea. And Elijah trained a young assistant named Elisha, who God would later use in even mightier ways, in some some ways, uh, uh, once Elijah had passed. And speaking of Elijah's death, (laughs) this was not ordinary. A chariot of fire, right, driven by horses of fire, came up to pick up Elijah and whisk him away in this fiery Uber up to heaven, okay? Right in front of Elisha, right in front of his assistant. That should be, in Ripley's Believe It or Not, that should be an exhibit that I would want to see. Now, you know, it it must take a great man of faith for God to use Elijah in all these ways. But as as James, Jesus' brother, says in, in, in his book, you know, Elijah was just like one of us. In fact, Elijah did not start out this way. God needed to build Elijah's faith. God needed to build Elijah's trust in him. So God walked Elijah in 1 Kings 17 through three different experiences to grow his faith. And I'm going to be honest with you, these experiences were not fun. They were not a, a pleasure cruise. But God did not waste any of these experiences, just as he will not waste anything in your life. God used them to grow Elijah's faith, just as God will use your times of suffering, your times of fear in your life to grow your faith. The question is, will you let him? Now let me just give you a little bit of context before we jump into 1 Kings 17. When we first meet Elijah, okay, when he first jumped onto the pages of the Bible, the northern kingdom of Israel is under the rule of the worst king and queen that Israel has ever seen. First Kings 16 says that King was the worst, did the most evil things. The worst king and queen in Israel's history, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And the biggest reason why these two were so bad, were so evil, is because they got rid of the worship of God, right? God's chosen people. They got rid of the worship of God, and they brought in a a, a false god for the people called Baal. And they established Baal as the official religion of Israel, of God's chosen people. They established Baal as the official religion. And furthermore, they began a campaign to murder 
every prophet of God, every holy person, everyone telling God's story. So, that's when we meet Elijah. God sends Elijah as his spokesman, as his prophet, to confront King Ahab because he and Jezebel has, had brought this false god and abandoned the one true God. And this is what Elijah says in 1 Kings 17. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now, as you can imagine, this message did not sit well with the king and queen. They planned to murder Elijah. In fact, they got a bunch of mercenaries and, and, and bounty hunters and assassins to try to kill him. And suddenly, Elijah became a wanted man for a very, very long time. So this is what God told him to do. In verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed ravens to supply you with food there. You know, the, the first step to God building Elijah's faith, and the first step that God will use to build our faith, is the rut. You know, a ravine is a natural rut. And God sends Elijah to live in the Kareth Ravine for about a year. It's cold, it's dark, it's narrow, it's lonely. Again, he's getting food from birds. I mean, this, this is not gourmet food, right? This is, this is scraps from probably dead carcasses or, or bugs. Or if he was lucky, maybe like birds pick up, you know, leftovers off of plates and garbage and things. And did you know that kareth in Hebrew means cut off? So Elijah was literally cut off. He was cut off from the rest of the world. He was cut off from everyone and everything. Now, some of you might be in an emotional kareth right now. You're going through a time that, that is dark and cold and lonely. And, and, and you feel like there's nowhere to turn. And there's no one to talk to. And like the name kareth itself, maybe you feel cut off. Maybe you have needs, but all that seems to be coming in are scraps from birds. Maybe you might be worrying I need more money to get through this tough financial situation right now. I just need some more support from my spouse. I just need a good friend. I feel so alone. I just need an opportunity. I just need a job. You know, one of the worst ruts that I was ever in was a time when I was working at Chili's. There's anything wrong with working in Chili's. In fact, it was great food. It's the product of who I am today. But I was working at Chili's. You see, my father-in-law, who was an amazing pastor, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so my family and I, we moved into his house in Butler, PA, and uh, to help take care of him. And we would take him to radiology appointments and take him to doctor's appointments. Sometimes I would get to preach for him in his church and, and be able to care for some of the people in his church during that time. But after he died, I, I spent three months in a rut. Three horrible months in a, in a rut. I was grieving the loss of my best friend and mentor. 
I was living in, in somebody else's house that wasn't my own. I, I was trying and, I'm telling you, failing to help my wife who was grieving the loss of her father. And we were raising twins who were in their terrible twos, who didn't understand why we had suddenly moved and didn't understand where their grandfather was who had suddenly disappeared. I was no longer working in ministry. My purpose wasn't there. But I was working at Chili's. And I was just bringing in a few bucks, you know, in tips. And even though I still owned a little townhouse in Cranberry that I was renting out when we were living in Butler, my, my renters suddenly informed me that they were going to break their lease. And so all of a sudden, I, I, I was in danger of losing my home. You know, the only asset that I felt like I had at the time, because Chili's sure wasn't going to pay the mortgage. You know, when we go through tough times like this, we ask, why is God allowing this to happen? God, am I not a follower of yours? I know I'm not perfect, but God, why, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why did God put Elijah in that rut? Why does God allow these things to happen to us? I really believe it's to get our attention. It's to get our attention. You know, God had big plans for Elijah. But first, God said, you need time alone with me. God said, I want to narrow your focus. You need to develop your relationship with me. I want your undivided attention. You know, it's really true that you don't realize that God is all you need until God is all you've got. You don't realize that God is all you need until God is all you got. And sometimes he allows us to be stuck in a rut until he can get our undivided attention. You know, and God will often use private darkness in our life to prepare us for public ministry that he has in store for us. Big plans that he has in store for you. God allowed Elijah to be stuck in a rut for a long time. About a year waiting on God. And some of you, you're waiting on God. God, when are you going to show up? I'm waiting here. And something I've had to learn the hard way is that with God, waiting is never unproductive. With God, waiting is never unproductive. But it was about time for God to move Elijah out of the rut in verse 7. So sometime later, the brook dried up. I wonder how many of you have had your brook dry up this past year. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now Elijah finds himself on the second step that God will use to develop our faith. The first is the rut and the second is the road. God told Elijah to travel to Zarephath. Now, I did a lot of research this week. Zarephath is about 100 miles away from the ravine, the Kareth ravine. It would take him days to make this journey. But don't forget two things, that he's in the middle of an extraordinary drought and he's walking through Middle Eastern weather. And I bet that there is little or no water to be found during this time. And once more, don't forget that Elijah is a wanted man. 
that King Ahab and Queen Jezebel have a price on his head. And people are searching for him and want to murder him. So he has to be careful as he kind of makes his way through this journey. And finally, God tells him to go to Zarephath. Do you know whose hometown that is? Jezebel's. So I would imagine Elijah feels like he's going to be a sitting duck in this town. In his greatest enemy's town, who has this price on his head. And he's considering, God, why, why would you send me there? You know, what do you think is the number one feeling Elijah had about this journey on the road? I think it's fear. I really think that Elijah, although he was faithful, had a great deal of fear. For Elijah, it might seem like things are now going from bad to worse. Have you ever been there? Like things seem bad now, or before, but now they are really worse. The, the brook has dried up. Maybe you've lost some income. Maybe you've gained some really unexpected expenses, and you're not sure how you're going to pay these pile of bills that you have sitting at home. Or maybe you're crying out to God to start a family. And maybe you're just desperate, and when pregnancy finally comes, maybe there's something horrible like a miscarriage. And my wife and I have been on that road Quite a few times. Or maybe you're looking to go back to school. And maybe your, your job, though, is asking you to learn a new skill. Or, or maybe it's time to, to send your kids to school, maybe for the first time. Maybe change is coming. Maybe there's something unknown that's happening in your life. And any time we experience the unknown, we have fear. In times of terrible fear, it's easier said than done. We need to remember that the path to faith will always take us out of our comfort zone. The path to faith will always take us out of our comfort zone. Because isn't it true that we don't really need faith when we're in our comfort zone, right? We're in our comfort zone. It's like, oh, I got this. I've done this a hundred times before. I could do it again. And so we're in our comfort zone. We don't really need faith. But the path to God growing our faith is always going to take us out of our comfort zone. You know, when I looked like When it looked like I was going to lose my house, I I had great fear. I had great fear. I don't know why, but I had this horrible fear. And, And there was this drive within me. I don't know where it came from, but there was this drive within me that God was not done with me yet. And I maxed out my credit cards to keep that house. And I kept it going month after month. When I had free time, I would spend all that free time down there trying to fix it up you know, slap a little paint on it, trying to get my wife excited about maybe moving down in here even though I didn't have a job. And I just felt like moving back to the, to the Pittsburgh area that God might have an opportunity for me to get, get back into ministry. You know, I finally got to this point where I had no money left. I had, I had no credit cards left. I was a Methodist pastor, so I went to a Methodist credit union and, and took out a loan. Just enough. All I could get was one month, one month's mortgage. And everybody in my life, my friends, they just thought I was nuts. What, what are you doing? It's Cranberry. You could rent that house. You don't have to, to lose it forever. And I just, I just felt this drive, and I took out this, this loan, and everybody thought I was crazy. And do you know that it was the day after I signed the paperwork for that loan that I got the greatest job I've ever had? And I was hired right here at Christ Church five years ago this August. No, that's, that's God who, who did that. Pastor Jamie hired me right here. And right after I signed that, that loan... It's unbelievable. But do do you know something? 
When we go through times of great fear, just like Elijah did, it's really hard to walk down that road. But somehow Elijah, he had the faith and he went down the road. And we pick that up in verse 10. So he went to, to Zarephath. He went. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I might have a drink? And she was going to get, as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me a piece of bread too. Oh, please. He said, please. And then this is what she says in verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives. Notice she said your God. She was not a believer. As surely as the Lord your God lives. She replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour and a jar and, and a little olive oil and a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home you know, to build the fire and to make the bread. And make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Man, do, you, do your circumstances feel dire? That we may eat and die. You know, we're going to starve. We're, we're out of water. So who does Elijah encounter after his journey on the road? A poor widow with no food. Talking about going from bad to worse to even worse. If I was Elijah, I'd be thinking, we're the birds. Let's, let's bring the birds back, right? But Elijah encounters someone. Get this. Elijah encounters someone, this widow, who is in the same place that Elijah had just come from. The rut. Where things have been cut off. Where there's not going to be any food. Where there's not going to be any water. In Zarephath, God's going to continue to grow Elijah's faith. But God is going to do something else too. God's going to begin to grow this widow's faith. And I would encourage you, before your head hits the pillow tonight, to take a look at 1 Kings 17. Take a look at how God used Elijah and how this woman came to be a believer because of this. Once more, you know what Zarephath means in Hebrew? It means the refinery. God is about to refine Elijah's faith. And that's the third step God will use to grow our faith, the refinery. He takes us to the rut, he takes us on the road, and then he takes us through the refinery. Now, Zarephath was not a Jewish city, it was a pagan town where no one believed in God. And quite literally, Zarephath means a workshop for the refining of metals. Now, do you know how an ancient silversmith would refine silver? Because when you dig up silver out of the ground, you know, it, it kind of looks like rock. It's, it's full of impurities and things. And so it's got to be purified. It's got to be refined. And so an ancient silversmith will take that, that hunk of rock, that piece of silver, and will put it in the hottest fire. And that fire will burn those impurities out of it. And in ancient times, you know, without the technology of today, in order to be able to know when that silver was done, you know what the silversmith was, would do is he would look in that fire and he would know that the silver is ready to come out of the refinery when he would see his reflection in it. You know, sometimes God, he allows us to be in the fire. He allows us to be in the refinery. He allows us to go through some of these times, maybe even using, because God doesn't waste things, using times of suffering in our lives to refine us until when? When he can see his reflection in us. When we start to look a little bit more like him. You know, my wife and I, we struggled with 
infertility for five years. Five years we tried to start a family. A handful of times we lost some children through that experience too. But looking back, God didn't waste that. God didn't waste that experience. God refined our marriage. It was one of the worst, my wife will tell you, it was one of the worst times of our marriage. I was not there in the way I needed to be. But God used that time to refine our marriage. Where today, and I hope God doesn't test us on this too much, but today, I know my wife and I as a team, we could get through so many things because we were refined during that time. We could get through so many things that that life throws at us. Some of you, you might be in the place of the refinery. You know, where the heat is on and where the pressure is high. Maybe you're feeling the pressure in your marriage. Maybe you're feeling the pressure at work, in your job. Maybe there's a pressure to perform somewhere in your life. You know, I don't believe that God is the author of suffering, but I certainly believe that He won't waste it. He doesn't waste anything. God will use suffering above all things to refine our character to purify our motives, to give us strength, and to grow our faith in Him. You know what's amazing is in this refinery, God was about to teach this widow the same lessons of faith that God had been teaching him. In verse 13, Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. There's an acronym that I want you to remember when God is growing your faith. There's an acronym I want you to remember when you're going through tough times like we've described. C-P-R. That God will use a command and God will give us a promise and there will always be a risk. God commanded Elijah to go to Ahab, but he promised him. He said, I'll take care of you. God commanded Elijah to go live in a rut, but he promised him. I'll send ravens to give you food, and you'll be able to drink from the brook that's there. God commanded Elijah to go on the road where where people want to kill you, but he promised them, I'll keep you safe. God commanded him to go to Zarephath, Jezebel's hometown, but he promised him, he said, I've prepared a widow there to take care of you. Now here's Elijah giving these same steps to this widow. The command, make the last of your bread and give some to me. And the promise, God says he will keep your jars of flour and oil full until this drought ends. So what's the risk in all this? Just like Ripley, do I believe it or not? Do I believe in God's promises? Do I believe it or not? Do you know the Bible, God's word, has over 7,000 promises for you? Do I believe it or not? Will I trust God to do as he promised? Will I have faith? Let me just close with this one question. Which one of these places do you think you might be in right now? Are you in the rut where it's cold 
and it's dark and it's lonely? Are you on the road where it's scary and you're feeling insecure and you don't know how long the journey will be and you're full of anxiety? Are you in the refinery where the heat is on and the pressure is high? You know, I look back when I was in the rut working at Chili's, living on credit, not sure how to pay my bills. I hated that time. I hated that time. But God walked me through it. And here's the key. He grew my faith tremendously so that when I came to be here, I didn't have the skills before. I didn't have the tools that I needed before. But God grew my faith so that I would have them to be in this place with you, to be in this place that I'm in right now. When I look back when my marriage was in the refinery, you know, I, I wouldn't wish infertility on my worst enemy. But I'm thankful for that past experience because God walked my wife and I through it. He walked our marriage through it. And our marriage is better and stronger because of it. And God blessed us. Two beautiful twin girls, of whom which I coached their soccer game this past Saturday morning. It's a little chilly, but beautiful sunshine. And man, was it wonderful to see their smiling faces as they enjoyed playing the game. You know, when I look at my present circumstances right now with my family, I feel like we're on the road. I feel like we're on the road with my little girl. It's scary. I'm not always confident we're heading in the right direction. I'm desperate. Just want to take this thing away from her. And I'm wondering when or even if this journey is ever going to end. But all I could do during this time is remember this. That God is good. And God has a plan. And God has proven himself to be trustworthy. And I need just one more day, just one day at a time, just one more day I need to trust God. Will he get me through this just one more day? Will the bird come on time? Just one more day can I trust him. I need to have faith that he's going to walk me through this, that he's going to walk my family through this because he's proven himself time and time again, hasn't he? And if I could trust my salvation to him, I could trust tomorrow to him. And I think that's what faith is all about. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for this place. And God, I thank you that you don't waste a thing. God, you use good times use joy and pleasure, fun with family, and you use those things, God, but you also use suffering. You don't let us go through that stuff without it having meaning. And God, it's so much easier said than it is done to, to, to trust that even though when I'm in the storm, or even though when I'm in the drought, when the brook dries up, if it doesn't seem like the bird's going to come on time, to be able to trust that you're going to provide. To be able to trust that you're going to see us through it. To be able to recognize that although this is incredibly difficult, incredibly tough, and I don't think I, I, don't think I can make it one more day, to realize that you're trying to get our attention. 
that you're trying to grow something within us. That you're you're purifying our motives, that you're building our character, that you're growing our faith because you have big plans for us and we need to be prepared for those plans. So God, I'm sure there's some people in this room that maybe I drugged up some stuff that's been buried down deep. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come amongst us and that you would bring us comfort and peace. God, I pray that you would give us supernatural discernment and wisdom. That you would guide us through times. The times of the rut, the times of the road, the times of the refinery, God. And that we might be able to come out the end singing your praises and being thankful.